How do we help patients overcome their fears of anticoagulants and engage them as decision-makers in their VTE treatment? In this episode of Critical Conversations on Venous Thromboembolism, a master class series on DVT and PE, clinician-patient communication is the focus as Drs. Cohen and Dottelswag offer insights and strategies for partnering with patients and counseling them on the benefits and risks of using anticoagulants for VTE management. Access the full series and complete the post-test for credit at peerview.com forward slash HBR 860. How effective are current anticoagulation therapies for VTE management in patients without cancer? In this episode of Critical Conversations on Venous Thromboembolism, a master class series on DVT and PE, Drs. Cohen and Dottelswag examine evidence-based recommendations for VTE management in patients without cancer and discuss the duration of anticoagulation therapy for these individuals. Access the full series and complete the post-test for credit at peerview.com forward slash HBR 860. So, welcome to episode four. How can we talk to our patients about VTE? Patient communication is one of the biggest barriers to effective VTE prevention and management. We now, we've already discussed how to select appropriate anticoagulation therapy, and there are clearly some benefits that DOACs have to offer. But disinformation comes to naught unless the patient actually takes the medications we prescribe, and that, that requires very detailed shared decision-making. It's essential, irrespective of the recommendation level. So in this episode, We'll present questions that patients have asked us, demonstrate shared decision-making techniques, and how to promote informed discussions with patients with a goal of encouraging persistence, adherence to anticoagulation treatment. I take, I take a baby aspirin every day. Isn't that sufficient? And, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it does have an effect, but it's a very weak effect compared to uh, a blood thinning drug like an anticoagulant. So this will reduce your risk by 30%, but you're still left with 70% of the risk. Whereas if you take a blood thinning drug, it will reduce the risk by 80 to 90%. So you'll only be left with 10 to 20% of the risk. So I don't think it's sufficient. That's a great explanation. Boy, I would, be, I would trust my care to you anytime, Dr. <laughs> well, I want to ask you about, you know, I'm coming to you and you're, you're saying... Um, you know, in your condition, Dr. Cohen, you need to take warfarin. And I'm going to say, but Dr. Deitelsweg, I don't want to take rat poison. Is there another option? I would share with you that this, there's been some amazing scientific discoveries over the last decade plus. And those would be the, the DOACs, things like apic, agents like apixaban or rivaroxabans and agents of the like. And we've had now over a decade of clinical experience with those that have shown benefit, especially in conditions like you have today. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I feel good about that. If I don't have to take warfarin, I know some people do because it's uh, more effective in some settings. But in my setting, I'll be glad to take a DOAC. Thank you. You're most welcome. My pleasure. Share decision making. Now, I'm worried about the long-term side effects from the blood thinners, like bleeding in my brain. 
Is that something I should really be worried about, Dr. Cohn? Yes, it is. It's a valid concern. But let me tell you that that concern has lessened over the last decade or so. So when you take a blood thinner, it's not uncommon to have some bleeding. And that can be minor bleeding or bleeding that is a nuisance, but uh, may not be life-threatening. And that is not a worry and it shouldn't affect you taking uh, the anticoagulants or blood thinners. But long term, we do see some patients uh, having more serious bleeding. And it's rare, but it's important to recognise there's a risk of things like bleeding into the brain. The good news is that the new drugs, the DOAX or NOAX, reduce that risk of bleeding by two thirds. And they also reduce the risk of bleeding that leads to dying by two thirds. And overall, thinning the blood is more, much more likely to add years to your life than take years off your life. So I think the risks are, are real, but the benefits are much greater. I do think it comes down to that. It's excellent risk benefit analysis. So you highlight that beautifully. Thank you. So, um, uh, you know, I'm thinking about stopping the, the blood thinners. My, my clot's gone. Why do I need to continue a blood thinner, Dr. Deitelswig? Yeah, that, that's a great question, uh, Dr. Cohn. I'll share that. We have appreciation now after many decades that venous thromboembolic disease, whether it's a DVT or a PE, can recur and not uncommonly does recur. And then if it does occur, recur, it could uh, recur in an area that puts you at even greater risk. Maybe you had a DVT last time, but now the next episode, it could be a pulmonary embolism. So because of that, that we want to prevent that recurrence. And that's what these drugs, the DOAX, do for you. Well, thank you, doctor. I'll keep taking my drugs. Appreciate that. Good, good choice. <laughs> um, when taking a blood thinner, I'm concerned about bleeding. If I fall or hit my leg on a table or a car door, is the risk of another clot really uh, such that this is, all makes this worth it? Well, you, you've, you've, you've raised an important point, Stephen, that when you are on a blood thinner, you do need to take particular care. You have to be careful to avoid trauma. You have to be careful about what sports you play. And you have to take precautions to prevent falls if you're likely to fall. But as I've explained to you early on, the risks are there, but the benefits are greater. And when the risks and benefits are in favor of continuing, I think we'll continue the drug. But if the risks and benefits change, then we'll have another discussion and we'll decide together whether it is worth it to continue. But for now, I think you should continue. Thank you for elucidating that. No, that makes perfect sense. I'm all in. So, uh, doctor, I've been taking my blood thinner two to three times a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That should be enough, shouldn't it? Well, that's a good start. I'm glad you're taking it. Having a little bit is better than none. However, really what we like to do and what we is expected to do is that to take the medication as it's been studied, studied across the globe that you need to take it every day as prescribed. So whether it's twice a day, once a day, that's the right approach and will save you. Maybe something else we can learn from this particular session. But one thing I do do, and I was with my patients this morning, is I educate them about the signs and symptoms 
of high-risk situations, of bleeding, of recurrences? Is it a thrombosis? I talk to them about when they're more at risk of getting clots and just things around the whole management, like in, in fertile women about uh, the, the, you know, what to do uh, in pregnancy, how long the therapy's going on for, and what things to avoid, as we discussed earlier, um, and what you do and if there's an emergency and all that sort of thing. I, the, the other thing I think I always check with my patients is whether they're taking the medication every day. I ask them and, uh, and I remind them of the importance of that. And, you know, with, a, with drugs like Apixaban, I tell them to put them next to the toothbrush because hopefully they clean their teeth twice a day. If they've got dentures, I have to think of something else. And then for, for, the, for the other once a day drugs, I, they can take them in the morning or night as they prefer. So they're, they're some of the factors, Steve. So I would share that that concludes our patient education approaches to overcome barriers to anticoagulation. In our next episode, we'll discuss overcoming barriers to anticoagulation during the all important transitions of care. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Download the slides and practice aids for this episode and others at peerreview.com forward slash HBR 860. Be sure to listen to all eight episodes in this masterclass series and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerreview.com forward slash HBR 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from the Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer Alliance.